Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Dale Maxwell, and I have Chef Chris Spear on Kickassery this morning. What the heck is Kickassery? Kickassery is really where I get the opportunity to brag on the people that I know. And that's pretty much what this has turned into, where I go into my that I've found, I have found that I have a pretty deep reservoir of amazing people in my life. And I reach out to him and I say, Hey, Chef Spear, do you want to be on Kick Assery? And he says, The hell are you talking about? What is this thing? <laughs> so that's pretty much what I am. So so Chris, who are you? What do you do? Where do you come from? Give us your elevator pitch, boss. Uh, good morning. So uh, I'm Chris Spear and I'm a personal chef. Uh, I live in the Frederick, in Frederick, Maryland, uh, and I service all of the DC, Baltimore metro area. So basically what I do is I come to your home um, and bring a customized restaurant experience to you. We talk about kind of what you like, don't like. I do all the shopping and then I show up to your house with all my china, linen napkins. I set the table and we have a fun dining experience. So, uh, you know, professionally, that's that's what I'm doing right now. Dude, that is awesome. That is, and you want to, okay, so I met you, I don't know if you remember, do you remember where we met? Uh, a chamber of commerce business card exchange at yes, a it was catering a, company, maybe? No, I don't think it was a it was catering. One, it, was one of the, it was one of the exchanges, but I don't remember which yes. one it was. You were sitting with uh, one of my favorite women. Um, you had just met Crystal Saxon. Right. And oh, yes, yes. You, anyone who knows Crystal Saxon knows that once once you become one of her brothers, there's no running away. There's there's no getting away from her. And I absolutely love her for it. She grabs me and says, Dale, you need to meet this guy. And we sat and, and BS the, the rest of the exchange. We sat there at the bar, bar, whatever it was, and we just talked. And, and that was right. Had you made the decision – to jump ship at that time? No, I mean, I still, that was uh, two years ago. So I just finished my first full year of doing my business full time. I started seven years ago on the side. So I probably still had another year and a half of growing, figuring things out. I mean, I think at the time I'm still talking about maybe having a commercial kitchen and having some kind yes. of collaborative chef project. You know, yep. there, there were things I wanted to do that it turns out the city wasn't going to allow or the Board of Health wasn't going to allow, and I had to change my business model. So it was another year and a half, I think, after that first meeting before I really uh, took my business full steam and figured out what I was going to actually do. What does the Board of Health know? I mean, they, they should just listen to you and let you do whatever the hell you want. I mean, really, come on. It, it all comes down to, um, you know, litigation and things. You know, my idea is I want to have this great collaborative chef kitchen where you can have different businesses like what I do in at the same time and they throw up a big red flag saying no way like then if someone gets sick who do we blame you know that's what it's all kind of about um so you can't have more than one business in the same kitchen space at the same time which was i'm like there's no way i'm gonna fight upstream to get this thing going and then i thought about food trucks and the city wasn't legalizing food trucks at the time they just became legal like three months ago um I love what I'm doing now, and in hindsight, it you know it was great, but at the time it was frustrating because I spent a lot of time and energy trying to to do something that ended up not working out. So, did you? I mean, prior to this, okay, I don't know how to ask that question. I'll make it a statement, then we'll go from there. Is that it, it's so crazy how when we we run down a path and we're like, this is this is where I want to go. 
This is what I want to do. And then obstacle, 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 ridiculousness, you know, a holiness, you know, all of these things. And you're like, okay, maybe I should go a different direction. And so you're happy that, are you happy that those roadblocks hit? So you were forced to make a change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the benefit is I'm running a business that has a higher profitability. So let's say I started this commercial kitchen thing. I would have to find a retail space, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment, you know, potentially get investors who can drive the business in a different way. Uh, then you're kind of limited to, you know, is it going to be in Frederick? Where is it going to be? I just decided I'm going to cook in people's homes and the board of health stays out of it. It's between myself and the customer. I don't need any equipment because I'm coming to Dale's house. I'm using Dale's oven and his stove. And all I need is the China, and now I can run a business that's, you know, 85% uh, profit on a, an event as opposed to like a 2%, you know? There you go. Um, but I just, you know, it took working through those obstacles to figure out what the business was actually going to look like. So question for you, and, and this is a question that I run into with myself all the time because I talk to myself a lot. And then also a lot of entrepreneurs or or future entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who want to go that direction. What was, what was the deciding factor for you to jump out of comfort, jump out of consistency, the J O B to go into this crazy, awesome adventure? Um, I've always wanted to do it for a while. Uh, I first started thinking about this 15 years ago when I was working for a catering company because these guys didn't want to do this. And they had people call all the time and say, we come cater uh, anniversary dinner for two. And they just couldn't be bothered. But then they started saying to me, hey, would you want to go do this and pick up some money? And I did. And I loved it. I said, this is a thing, but I don't know how that's going to work out. So that was always kind of kicking around. Um, I think it comes down to actually wanting to be a chef and cooking. Uh, as you move up the ladder, whether it be in a restaurant or contract food or something, you stop cooking. Uh, you know, you turn into an HR guy, it's hiring, right. firing, email, scheduling, board meetings. And it's like, wow, I've been a month literally not even cooking in the kitchen. How could I get back to working in the kitchen, cooking, doing what I really love and making a profitable business, you know, around it. Nice. So nice. I think just hitting that, like I've had a couple too many years of not cooking as much as I wanted to. And that's really what pushed me. Nice. Okay. I have a dumb question. To me, it's a dumb question. So I feel like I should know this. Traditionally, I always thought to be a chef, you had to go to culinary school and you had to do all that. What makes? How do you get that name, chef? What is the? What is the technical? How? I mean, so so I think it is a combination of being able to cook, but have those business management leadership skills. You know, there's a lot of people who are great live cooks. They're going to be cooking forever. Um, but being able to write a menu, cost it out, being able to um, grow your people, um, you know, so it really is that side of it. Uh, it just when that gets to be more of that than the cooking, I think is where the problem comes in and you have to be able to balance it. And it all depends on where you're working and what the structure is. Some places have a general manager who do does all of that um, or the majority and some the executive chef is really doing all of that. So. Um, so is you, don't, there like, you don't have to go to culinary school. So is there like a, a, a organization an association that you have to hit so many criteria before you can get the, the name chef or so how there's, does, the there's the American culinary federation and they were formed years ago 
to really elevate our industry from uh, blue collar to white collar. Um, and they do a lot of education pieces. So you can be a certified executive chef. You can be a certified sous chef, a certified master chef. So when you see that certified, that's through the ACF. They're the only ones who are certifying that. But that being said, whoever the kind of lead chef is at whatever restaurant, they could be the executive chef without having gone through the certification. You know, at some point, I think um, maybe when you're younger, that's more important. And when you're older, you know, it's like, I'm actually not a certified executive chef, but I'm 41 years old. I've been in the business 25 years. I've held the position. I've run it. I don't necessarily need that piece of paper. I'm over that point in my life where I feel like I need a piece of paper saying I am something. You know, there's a lot of people who have the paper who really don't have the chops. So. Pun intended. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even that sharp. I didn't even really catch that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, and the thing that impresses me so much about you, Chris, is, you know, I, I met you a couple of years ago and granted, we haven't, we're, we're not like best friends, but, you know, we've been kind of following each other a little bit and, and you're in, in what, two books now? Um, so I'm in one book called Knives and Ink about yeah. chefs with tattoos, which is super cool. Uh, and I've been in a lot of magazines the past couple of years, which has been kind of a surreal experience for me. So let me ask you this, man. You you've just in the last year and a half, two years, you have really stretched yourself and you've really went beyond where you were because you made a choice and you made a decision and, and you were gonna you were gonna hit it and you're gonna make it. And I remember having a conversation with you, I think it was at uh, Barnes and Noble one day. Yeah. You you, mm -hmm. you took time for me and and I really appreciate that. And you sat down and we we had this this great conversation and you you basically said you're like this is what i'm doing and i'm going to do it until it doesn't work anymore and then i'll figure out the next step and so many people allowed me included for many many years so many people allow the fear of the what ifs and the fear of the unknown and the fear of well what if i fail dictate what they don't pursue what they don't do what you you i mean you have a family you had a great career you jumped and you made it happen do you have any for those of us who, who struggle with that what, what's your advice um so i really started reading a ton of books whether they be kind of in the business uh realm the self-help uh, I'm a self-described introvert. I am so outside of my comfort zone and people who meet me now don't necessarily think that way. But you know, it's like, um, I read Amanda Palmer's The Art of Asking. I don't know if you've ever read the book or heard of it. She does a great TED talk. She was a, a musician uh, in a band called the Dresden Dolls in Boston. Um, but basically it was about asking for what you want, kind of taking that risk. You know, she um, crowdfunded her first solo album. You wow. know, and it was unheard of at the time and raised millions of dollars and basically just saying, you know, help me pay for it. And she was catching a lot of criticism about why is this already established artist needing to ask her fans for money? Um, but kind of pushing that aside and just going out for it, you know, kind of the what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody's going to say no. Uh, so right. she's got a great 15 minute TED talk or something. But just that idea of um, I want to be in a magazine. So find the editor of a magazine online. And, you know, build a relationship first, but then go in for the ask and say, hey, Joe, 
you know, we've been talking for a while. What do I have that I could provide for your magazine? I've got a dozen new recipes. You want to take a look, see maybe there's something that fits. You know, that is so far out what I normally would have done. Like, no way would I blind pitch, you know, a recipe to the editor of Bon Appetit magazine. Right. Um, but you just get in the zone where, like, they're not going to come to you probably. Right. You know, there's so many people out there, so much noise, so you got to stand out. And um, I just realized I wasn't going to get what I wanted if I didn't go for it. You're awesome, man. You are so awesome because that takes balls, dude. Because and, – and here's what's crazy to me. What physically would have happened to you if Bon Appetit magazine said no thank you? Like nothing, right? Nothing. Nothing. But we put this – like it's almost, it's almost tangible. It's almost tactile, you know, this – this fear of rejection or the fear of whatever, you know, put your title on it that it's for you, that it it totally hamstrings us. And I've been dealing with it forever, ever. And yet when you finally pull the trigger and how did you feel when they said, yes, please? Yeah, it was amazing. I, um, all these things, you know, people say it's a little ballsy, you know, it's like there's a, this culinary competition called Koshan 555. And I really love it. And I'd been a bunch of years and paid for tickets. And I even know, knew the organizer, but I don't know why I had never asked. Like, I wanted to be a judge. And I just shot a blind email and said, hey, Brady, it's Chris. You know, I've been in this thing for five years now as an attendee. I know you need 20 judges. I would love to do it. What do you think? He said yes. And now I'm on the judges circuit. And like every year when it comes to D.C., I just get like an automated email saying you've been selected to judge. And it's crazy. And people are like, wow, like, how did you get to be one of the judges? I'm like, I almost don't want to tell them. It's like, <laughs> I shot the organizer and email. Like, I asked. These people are pulling their hair out, too. Like, that guy needs to find 20 right. people to judge in every city. That magazine needs to find content, not only for the magazine, but for their websites every day. Right. They're just as stressed out looking for new talent, new voices, new people to help. And I think, you know, if you guys can meet in the middle somewhere. Right. There's a lot of opportunity. Dude, I really love how you just said that, is that it's not all about – they have things that they got to get done too. We're all human. Yeah. We're, all, we're all screwing up every day. We're, we're, we're all succeeding every day. And I guess I hadn't thought of it that way, man, is they need us as much as we need them. Mm-hmm. I had never thought of it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the, the conversation that's uncomfortable in every industry because then there's the free versus paid. And you know, there's a lot of people who are, uh, their livelihood is getting paid as a recipe developer and they're getting pissed off at people like me because they feel like we're undercutting them. You know, oh, this guy's coming in and doing it for free. It's like the whole conversation about influencers right now. Right. Like, right. you know, should you be giving your product for free to someone on Instagram because they have a million followers? I think it's great. Right. You, you know, like everyone's got their talents. If it can get your product in front of people, hey, more power to you. But it's it's disrupt there's a whole lot of disruption in many industries right now and the conversation's pretty interesting about that. Well, and, and you're absolutely right, because that disruption is across the board in almost every industry there is because this medium that you and I are talking on right now it gives opportunities that even five years ago wasn't available. And these traditional industries that are so ginormous are, it's so hard for them. It's a Titanic trying to turn around. 
and it, it either they're they're set in their ways or they're so far in bureaucracy that it's dang near impossible for them to make the adjustments that's necessary and then you have limber guys like us that really we're making it up as we go let's mm -hmm. be honest and it doesn't really matter yeah um, i mean i'm probably gonna get more distribution through this here i mean i'm not on nbc right now you know like is you and i talking but this is totally different like five years ago you know you wouldn't have this opportunity and now it's we can sit here talk for however long put it up on our own channels and you know better chance for it to be seen by the people we want to see it than being on a tv show it's absolutely so absolutely it is so interesting man it really is and and the the thing you know i i've had i've had lots of conversations with content creators you, you brought up a great point a minute ago about uh, you know, value versus being an influencer and creating value and not charging for it versus putting it out on the market as a paper. So I'm a big, big fan of the balance. You know, I'm a big fan of you got to create your brand. You have to create your influence and your value and you have to prove to the market that you know your shit. I mean, that's, that's, that's mm -hmm. the truth. But then at the same time, I'm not in business to just give everything away. As much as I wish I could, I'm not. You're not. You're not going to go and if you could, I'm sure you would cook for everybody for free. If if you had a you know a gajillion bucks in the bank and you didn't have to worry about it, that's not the case. And the conversation I've been having with a lot of of content creators is that ah, how much do I give away? How much do I not? And to be honest with you. And, and correct me, maybe your industry is a little different, but in my opinion, you, you just give. And then when it's time to have a product to sell, you've already created that accountability, not accountability, credibility. And the the sale is a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's uh, opportunities. You know, I hear a lot of restaurateurs and restaurants are totally different ballgame because you have razor thin margins. Yeah. But for me, you know, I have a, a price in my head, how much it's going to cost for me to come cook for, you know, Dale and his family. But, you know, I might get approached by someone where I say, oh, this person has some level of influence or something, or, you know, maybe I'll do it on the cheaper. Maybe they'll get a little something different because it's going to benefit me. You know, it's, right. it's like I'll do events at a, a winery or brewery and I'll comp someone a ticket if they're a, you know, a person on Instagram who I know is going to take photos and post it up to their 20,000 followers. For me, it's worth it. You know, the cost yep. of my food was like 30 bucks. And instead of spending 30 bucks in ads, the reach is going to go further for me to have a local food blogger come out, you know, take a ton of pictures, post up, than to spend that 30 bucks on an ad somewhere, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I do a lot of Ubering. And of course, I, I pick up a lot of cooks and I pick up a lot of restaurant managers. And, and to be honest with you, um, to, to be a restaurateur is equal parts balls, equal parts crazy, in my opinion, you know, because it's just it's one of the highest fail business models there is, you know. But if you have something that works, it's amazing. And the thing that I loved about when you and I talked about what you were doing with perfect little bites is that and i think you already mentioned it is that all of that all of that overhead and all of that 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 liability goes out the window because you don't have that yeah 
Yeah, I mean, and that's it. I'm really not a risky person. So for me, it was setting up a business uh, in a traditionally risky environment with kind of uh, some risk mitigation. <laughs> you know, nice. how do I not have to take out a lease on a place? How do I not be tied down to a physical location that I don't even know if this is the right market for it? Having right. a whole bunch of employees who I have to manage who may not be good. It's like I have you know, zero physical location that I have to rent, zero huge capital expenses, no employees, you know, it's, um, I can keep it lean and mean and it's mobile tomorrow. If I move, like, you, you know, you recently moved. If I moved cross country, I could take the business with me. I've already branded it. I've got all my stuff. I can throw it in the car, move to St. Louis and open perfect little bites there. You know, it's, um, it's super flexible. And you're not working 14 hour days, I'm guessing. No. And you know, it's, there are 14 hour days, but it's kind of broken up at kind of right. my pace. If it's 14 hours is because that's how long it took me, but it might be, you know, prep for five hours, take a nice lunch break, pick my kids up from school, you know, work for a couple more hours. It's not like this grind of like 14 hours straight. I have had those days, but well, yeah. not as many as I used to. Right. I mean, as a restaurant, restaurateur, I mean, those guys, man, they're, they're grinding out 10, 12, 14 hour days, five, six days a week. And you know, as soon as you become a manager, then that's all you're doing. And, and, I don't, and I don't think you have to. I think there's a lot of this um, ego with chefs, you know, kind of like if you're not working this 18 hour day, you're not a chef. I feel like quite often you're not managing your business properly. You're not training your people. Um, there's a whole conversation. I've had this debate with a lot of people. You know, I used to work in a place where I could go on a week's vacation and not get a single phone call or text or whatever, because I put the people in place to run the business when I wasn't there and they could do the ordering. They could handle an issue if there was a call out. They could create specials. You know, I think a lot of people want to feel indispensable and they're not necessarily training their people properly, whether they don't know how or they don't want to. So I don't think you always have to be there. I think it's like an addiction. Like they want to be there. And that's a good addiction. I like that. Now, do you feel that because there's a lot of industries and my wife's in the military and the military is another industry that does this a lot where there are people who are promoted into positions because of their skill level that they have in X. We'll, we'll say a line cook, a line cook is a phenomenal line cook. So they get promoted to executive chef because they're such an amazing line cook, but they don't have the skill set to manage people to manage, Absolutely. you know, do you see that in that industry as well? Yeah, I think because, um, it, you know, you're always kind of looking at the try it before you buy it model. And it's like, you know what you have with that cook and hopefully you can grow them, which is where I think you always should be growing. You know, I see a lot of times you've got these line cooks who you haven't really invested a lot in and then a position opens up and you just can't find the next sous chef. So you promote them, but you haven't been spending the two years to really groom them for the position. Um, so that's what I always wanted to do is looking two steps ahead. Like, where is this person should, where do they want to be? How can we get them there instead of kind of waiting at the last minute? But, you know, management isn't for everyone. There's a lot mm -hmm. of people who just want to be career line cooks or, you know, whatever. I've had a lot of people who were next in line to move up and I've had the conversation, Hey, you've been here for 10 years. You know, don't you want the sous chef position? Nope. Like don't want the headache. Want to leave at the end of the day and not have it be my problem. And, you know, I respect that. Cool. And if they are performing at the, the level that they need to, they're happy. Why not? Yeah. You know, and like we don't, not everyone wants to be a business owner, you know, right. you know, and not everyone, everyone should wanna, be right. You know, not everyone should be 
a business owner. Not everyone should be a manager. You know, we all have a, our, our lot in life. Most of us are still trying to figure that out. And yet we seem to get pushed. Maybe society is saying that we need to, maybe this, maybe that, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see that in the restaurant industry as well. And I think it's across the board. I, I think that a lot of cultural requirements say that um, you need to work 20 hour days. I've been there. Um, probably about the time that you and I were met, I was putting in ridiculous days, like, like crazy, ridiculous. And I had a, a business coach for a little while and he said, Dale, I need you to sit down and, and, and write out your schedule for the day and let's see how many hours you're working. And I told him, no, I don't want to because I don't want to ha- realize what I'm – my concern was the amount of time I was wasting. And literally when I wrote down the amount of times I was working on my business or doing something that had to do with that, I was 16 to 17 hours a day, six days a week. Mm-hmm. What sucked, and the reason I didn't want to do that, was that I was not getting 16 hours a day, seven days a week, six days a week of performance out of myself. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much hours, so many hours wasted, like just in the food service industry, you know, like between all the little sidebar conversations everyone wants to have and all the, you know, the lunch break and all this stuff. It's like, wow, like I could just come in and bang it out and get it done if no one else was here. Right. It's just people tend to fill the day with their task. I would find that someone had a list of 10 things to do and eight hours to do it. They would finish just about before the eight hours, you know, and if you tacked on another five things, they'd still get it done. People kind of stretch to fill it in. And I just found that we were wasting all this time. It's like, why do I need to be here for these 12, 13, 15 hours? Because I'm not necessarily getting more done. Right. So I started reading this book and I'm about that far into it. Right. So I started reading four hour work week. Have you read that one? Yeah, that's probably one of the first ones that I read uh, once I started doing all these books in that kind of realm. I love Tim and all of his books. You know, and the thing that um, I'm not through it all the way, but, you know, he makes a very valid point. And it's exactly what you just said, is that we're going to fill our time that is allotted to us, whether it's self-allotted or a boss or industry or whatever, to do just what's needed. And... I love, and I'm, I'm really trying to implement this myself, is do your task list, figure out what you need to do, and get it done. And then guess what? When you're finished with it, walk away because yeah. you're finished. And how many industries and how many businesses would be amazing if you walked in, we'll talk restaurants, you know, you walk in and you say, okay, uh, and I don't know the terms and their job description, but sous chef, you need, here's your list of things to do today, get it done. And as soon as you're finished with it, you can go home. Yeah. I don't, I don't know all the details, know. but but we had a delivery company who used to deliver food for us. Um, and the first company we had, I believe the employees were paid, uh, by like just getting the job done. They had to deliver to 20 routes and when they were done, they could go home. And these guys were super fast. And then we switched and we had another company and these guys were paid for eight hour days and they were slow as anything. Like I guarantee you, if I said to my cooks or whoever, if you said to your employees, here's what you need to get done today. I'm going to pay you for a full day's work. You go home when it's all done. They would get it done. Yeah. You know, but it's like, no, I'm here for eight hours. Like if I just work faster, all I'm going to have to do is do more work. That tends to be the mindset. 
Right. Um, you know, with, with managers, I was I've been salary for the past you know 15 years, and they just expect you to be there. It's like why to to babysit? Like right. I've trained these people, they can run the ship. Like give me right. a call if there's an emergency, but they'll be fine. And that right there, Chef Spear, is trust and faith in your team. That's 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 it in my in my opinion is if you have trust and faith in your team that things aren't aren't going to fall apart just because you're not there that empowers them to do their job they're not sitting there going well but chef spear how do i do this and how do i do this well you know what to do just do it and then we'll talk about it i think you know you you're best experiences have probably come your best learning experiences have come from mistakes right i, I mean i think you have to give people the opportunity to fail you know yes. i would love for my cooks to create a dish on their own you know and run with it or say hey you want to learn how to do the order great go do the produce order like they might forget to order a case of pineapple okay well they're probably not going to forget next time because they forgot this time exactly like, what's what's the worst that's going to happen and giving these people some leeway uh, and that's how you grow people. Yeah. Yeah. And being a micromanager stifles that being a control freak does not allow growth in your program because you are the glass ceiling with all your reading. Did you, how much uh, did you read of John Maxwell? Uh, only a little, not much, but it's, he's on my okay. list. Uh, 21. Uh, do I have it up here? Yeah. Hold on a second. 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. That, that should be on your list because okay. he talks about that right there. It's called the glass ceiling or the, uh, the law of the lid. And he really talks about heavily about stifling your program because you're not allowing growth. You're not getting out of everyone else's way. And he also back in the day, and I haven't heard him talk about this very often anymore, but he used to talk about working yourself out of a job, out of your managerial job is going from a manager to a leader and just working yourself out of a job, meaning that you empower your people, you educate your people, so you don't have to manage them. You can set the expectations, you can set the direction in which you're going and let them go and let them do it. So you're no longer having to manage them, you're leaving them. And I love that, working yourself out of a job. And it's hard. It, and I don't know if I don't know if you know, I worked for Ikea for a couple of years. I don't know if you ever had this, had this conversation. I remember and, something uh, about it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I went there, a lot of people say, you're crazy. You know, why are you going to go work there? Because they're an amazing company. And for me, it was filling in those pockets where I needed to learn. Um, so like to that effect, every manager who works for them one day a month has to be the store manager on duty and you call all the shots. Wow. So I'm a, rest, I'm a restaurant guy, and now one day a month I've got to put on the yellow shirt, walk the floor, and solve all the problems. Like, if it snows, I'm the one deciding to close the store today. Do you know how many thousands of dollars impact? I mean, as terrifying as for me, think about them relinquishing that. So you've got a trained general manager who's just going to throw her hands up and say, Chris, the 24-year-old restaurant manager is going to decide today whether or not we close or open. Wow. You know, but really empowering people to make those decisions. You're on the floor and someone stops you and says, hey, there's a couch very similar at Target for $200 less. Will you price match? I mean, there's people there who can provide you insight 
but uh, you got to kind of go with it and just right. that kind of thing, you know. Um, so I spent uh, two years working for them and it was great to build my managerial experience, to be able to hire and fire when necessary, to be able to properly evaluate employees, like all kinds of stuff. I'm, the marketing alone, um, I've written whole pieces on the internet that, uh, you know, so much, so much you can. That's have. awesome, man. You, you, you have such a round experience that I, I don't know of any other cooks or chefs or anything that, that has had that kind of experience. And, and I love how you're taking the leadership aspect or have taken it and, and you, you ran with it. You know, it, it's, the easy way and the right way are not always the same way. You know, usually it takes more effort to do the right thing. And leadership is hard, man. Relinquishing control is hard. Taking the reins of an entire Ikea store and and running with it is hard. And allowing, here's a lesson that was really, really hard for me to learn. To allow others to fail. You, you just said it a few minutes ago. That was probably one of the, as a leader, that was probably one of the hardest lessons for me to learn leading others is allowing them to fail. When I see the fix, I see what's coming down the line because I've done that. I failed at it. I sucked at it and I know what to do, but to give the counsel and say, okay, here's what's coming down your choice. And to just watch that train just go <laughs> And I think the challenge for me is going to be if and when I have employees, because it is a very different story when it's not your business, right? So it's easy for me to allow someone to fail in a restaurant environment that I don't have as much skin in the game. Yeah. You know, it's a very different story. Let's say now I hire a cook and send him out on a job. It is going to be very different. I realize that for me to say, well, if he screws up, that could potentially tank my whole business that I own. Right. And that's a little scary compared to like, oh, well, we might get a bad review for this restaurant. Eh, I don't own it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so being aware of that, but I, I hope I'm still going to stay with the same mentality. Well, that's a, that's that's very it, pardon me. That's very introspective, man. And and that's awesome. Um, my experience with that wasn't necessarily in business. Uh, when, we, when we were in Germany, real quick story. So when we were in Germany, I was working, uh, I did the youth program. So the 11 to 18 year olds and working with young adults who had never had leadership responsibility, I kind of threw them in the deep end and I said, okay, let's go. And they wanted specific example. They wanted to put on a dance. Well, hell, I've put on thousands of dances. I used to, I started my first business was a DJ company in high school. I've done, you know, so to me, that's a no brainer. You do these things, you do it, blah, 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 right? Well, they had never done it. So I laid it out and I said, okay, here's your list. Here's your to-do list, your task list. Here are the people you need to talk to. Here's the people you need to verify with, blah, blah, blah. I laid it all out for them. I said, here's what you need to do. We delegated, you know, I said, now our, our, our date, we're going to have another meeting. And unless these things are finished, we're not having a dance. That's our, our end all be all meeting. We're going to call it into it. And they're like, okay, yeah. And I saw them, they weren't doing their work. I kind of nudge them a little bit. I poke them a little bit. We're doing their thing. We had their meeting. Okay. All right. Give us the reports. Oh, well, I didn't do this. And I didn't do that. I didn't do this. Okay. Pulled the plug. No dance. Now that's, 
I mean, it's not a business that lost thousands of dollars, but the thing that was really hard for me was the just look of utter devastation on these young leaders' faces when I pulled the plug on them when they're like, oh, yeah, I can get that done today. Too late. Right, right. Too late. And that was, for me, as, as trivial as that sounds, that was a huge learning curve for me. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody died. <laughs> you know, the world kept spinning. And guess what? The next time we did something, like you said, uh, guess what? Shit got done. Yep. I mean, I've got kids. It's kind of the same thing, having those consequences. It's like yes. there's plenty of things that you, you know, we tell our kids. We went to a party recently, um, and the kids were there. And we had said, you know, you guys, if you don't act right, we're going to have to go home. And they just could not get it under control. And as much as I hated it, it was more punishment for us. Yeah. You know, we said, oh, time to go and had to leave because you have to stick to your guns at some point. You know, it, what's the point in saying, like, if you don't behave, you're going to go home and then you just never do it. So we Hello, said, OK, friends. you know, we've been here five minutes and we haven't had anything to eat or drink, but, you know, we're not going to be here. And we took them home and, you know, we all kind of stewed when we got home, but it was just like. You've got to kind of stick to your yeah. guns and the same thing with the business. You, you know, you have to let them know you're serious. You have these deadlines. This is what we need to get done. And if it doesn't get done, it's not going off. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Man, uh, you, I really appreciate you, man. I really appreciate your, your time that you're willing to give us here and, and hang out with, with kick assery and, and our, our clan. Um, and uh, so what's, what's some advice that you have, for either your fellow chefs or people who are are really wanting to do something more, something on the side, a side hustle, or yeah. what's some of your, your wisdom? I mean, I think you have to get out there and try it. So for me, is starting it as a side hustle, seeing if it would work. You know, that gives you time to make changes. You know, I can't imagine if I had quit my job and gone all into this, you know, commercial kitchen thing and that fell flat. I'm glad that I had a couple years time to kind of play around with it and not have to be super committed to things so that, you know, when it was time to go, I could jump, you know, and kind of be successful from the start. You know, it looks like I was operating a successful business from day one, but it's like, yeah, I spent seven years, six years kind of behind the scenes, AB testing a lot of things like what's my market? Like I'm in Frederick and Frederick isn't necessarily my market and I have to be okay with that. A lot of people wouldn't. It's like, yeah, most of my business is down Northern Virginia. Fine. I'm driving to Alexandria tonight. Like I, I can't fight and say, this has got to be my market. Like if it's not, it's not, or, you know, right. Oh, I couldn't get this food truck. Now what? Like just having to figure out something for me, it's being creative and working through the creative process to kind of problem solve. So I have a daily creativity exercise I do. Um, and that kind of helps me kind of open things up. So I'm a big fan of these lists of 10, so it might be who are 10 businesses in town who I could potentially partner with um, to do something interesting or, you know, looking on the counter, I had a friend give me a bunch of persimmons. What are 10 new recipes I could do with persimmons or, you know, something like that and kind of opening it up and just keeping notebooks. I'm a big fan of notebooks. Chefs notoriously have notebooks full of recipes and ideas and just kind of working through that process to, to figure things out and figure things out and problem solve. But sometimes you get into really interesting trains of thought. That's awesome, man. And I appreciate that. I really do. And 
Um, I'm I'm jotting notes of you know wisdom of Chef Spears over here. So there, so there's a great. Uh, I don't know. Do you know James Altucher, who's a business guy? He's written I don't. a ton of books. So uh, his first book is called Choose Yourself. It's about kind of investing in yourself, right? So the idea of you know let's take monetarily instead of throwing a bunch of money into the stock market, which you might not know, if you're a photographer, invest that money in buying a new camera and, you know, going out and doing some photo shoots for free to build a portfolio or, or something like that. Um, but he and his wife uh, wrote a book called Become an Idea Machine. And their thesis is that the more you build this creativity muscle, the more thoughts kind of come to you free form. So it's a workbook of 180 days of just, you know, if you were to create a car with 10 new features, what would it be? If you were to sit down and have dinner with 10 people, who would they be and why? Or, you know, things like that. And it's really just an exercise to build your brain and kind of get in that creative thought. So I took that over once I finished their book and just kind of kept doing those kind of in a very tactical sense. So who are 10 people today that I will email to kind of pitch my business to and just kind there of, you, you know. Do, do, do you see your, your title, the, the book, the title of your book down there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll see something like that. I'm sure of it. Yeah, maybe, you know, uh, and for me, it's just kind of assembling things together. You know, I never try and pretend that I've got all these great new ideas. You know, it's just a combination of everything. I think the best thing you do is read a lot, do a lot, talk to a lot of people, kind of combine it and find out what works for you you know i'm never going to sit here and say i came up with this great idea to become an idea machine it's like no i just want to share with you the resources right there's this right. guy he's got a great he's got a podcast um you know he's very much like tim ferris same kind of realm um has a lot of guests he does a podcast that's on every couple of days and has all these books and they've been tremendously helpful for me nice nice Man, I'll let you go. I appreciate your time. I really, really do, Chef Spear. And I'm super excited to, to see all of what you have coming up. Uh, you've kind of, over the last year or so, kind of dropped a couple of hints to me what, what you're working on. And I'm super stoked to see it. Um, I, I'm really excited to, in even a very outside way, to, to be a, 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 a part of it, even if it's just talking to you about it. So keep us keep us in 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 touch and keep us in the loop. If you don't mind, once this once we're finished here, would you mind putting your contact info down in the comments so we all know how to get a hold of you and whatnot? And um, I'm also just so everyone else knows here on Kickassery. As a reminder, I'm also building a YouTube channel with all of our Kickasseries as well. I'm wanting to get a few of these on there before we actually launch it. I'm uh, it's kind of messy right now, so it's not ready to throw out. But, um, yeah, dude, thank you so much. Any last words to everyone? No, just, you know, if anyone needs, wants to talk to me or anything, just find me. So my business is Perfect Little Bites, so that's me kind of across everywhere, Perfect Little Bites on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. My email address is perfectlittlebites at gmail.com, and my website is perfectlittlebites.com. But, you know, I love meeting new people, and whether it be about food, if you have a question about a recipe or a suggestion for a cookbook, hit me up. But if it's, you know, business right now, I'm starting a new business project that's kind of uh, its goal is to help food entrepreneurs and build a community around that. So I just love kind of working with people and helping them grow their business. Like I want to have an open business model. If anyone wants to do what I do, I have no secrets. I'll tell you how I did it uh, and the road bumps I hit. But anything I can share for advice, I would love to. 
Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, we might have you on here in the in the near future, and you can uh, share a, a recipe or two with us. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right, man. Chris, I appreciate your time. Everyone, thank you, guys. I appreciate you. I got to finish up here with uh, Chef Spear because uh, I'm back-to-back today. This week, dude, has been insane. I opened up my schedule, and everyone just went, we're jumping in the pool. Let's make this happen. So, brother, I thank you. Appreciate it. Please make sure you throw your contact info in the comments. Everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. I'll be back here in about, I don't know, 45 minutes, half an hour to do another one of these. Uh, Yeah, guys, keep smiling because guess what? Somebody needs it. We'll talk to you soon. Hang out with me for just a second, Chef.